if you're going to not require vaccinations, you're still going to have the naysayers that says, you know, that's that's idiotic and you're putting us at risk. If you try to explain, you know, why you're requiring vaccinations, people are going to say, well, that's not the you know, best route. I've already gotten COVID. So I'm, you know, I'm the the most protected Superman here. Um, so it's just, I think it's just like any other employment policy. You just kind of have to figure out what makes the most sense for us. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. As businesses bring employees back to the workplace, they face new challenges. Should we require employees to be vaccinated? What about those employees with sincere, if misguided, aversion to vaccines? What about employees who are afraid to work alongside unvaccinated coworkers? And what liability might I have if an employee contracts COVID while at work? And to add to that, President Biden's intention that OSHA require employers with more than 100 employees to mandate COVID-19 vaccines or require employees to undergo regular COVID testing. And it's understandable why employers are apprehensive. Here to definitively answer each and every question an employer might have, once and for all, is Paul Simon. Paul is an employment law attorney and a partner at the law firm of Simon Pascal. Paul's a litigator who represents employers. He acts as outside counsel for many of his clients and also represents his clients in front of the EEOC, Texas Workforce Commission, and other regulatory agencies. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Paul, and now you can give me your legal disclaimer. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. It's good to be here. So... Clearly, this is all uh, fluid, and what's what's best practice today may change tomorrow. But let's just start with why shouldn't an employer just require all their employees to get vaccinated and get over with it? Get it over with. I mean, I think the yeah. I mean, the the question as to whether or not an employer should you know require everyone to get vaccinated. You know, you've got the legal implications, and obviously that's some of why I'm here, and we can talk about that. But then just I think the, um, you know, more of the HR, you know, what makes employees happy. And so kind of like you addressed, I mean, you've got to appease the employees that have concerns about being around unvaccinated people, but you do have a large segment of people that just for whatever reason uh, don't feel like the vaccination is right for them. And you kind of have to weigh that. Um, and employees are hard to get, especially good ones. And so if you've got a really good employee who's, uh, not wanting to get vaccinated, that's a tough call to make as an employer. Um, you know, from a legal perspective, I mean, really, uh, the general rule is employers can absolutely mandate vaccinations. Um, the, the two exceptions really right now for that is if someone has a disability uh, that uh, qualifies under the ADA and they can't get uh, the vaccination. And I actually just had someone yesterday reach out uh, who was terminated, but uh, doctors won't allow him to get vaccinated. So that's an interesting situation he's got going. And then the second one is sincerely held religious beliefs. Um, haven't run into that as much, but there is a lot of, 
you know, people contacting uh, some interesting churches around the country and asking for, you know, confirmation that, you know, I've been a member since yesterday. And, you know, that as a, as a member of this church, we don't believe in uh, COVID vaccination. So uh, those are kind of the two exceptions we're dealing with right now on the legal side. So yeah, I could I could start the church of what's happening now and give people <laughs> notes, uh, you know, from from Beacon Coffee all day long, I guess for for a tithe. But so it's a practical issue then for employers. Do we want to have we want to slay this down, um, or do we want to let employees follow their unconscious or whatever it is, and um, and and decide however they want to. The thing that comes up when I'm talking to employers a lot is, okay, so I can do it, but if I don't do it, what's my liability? If 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 we come, you know, if we have an instance where somebody contracts COVID in the in the line of duty, yeah, I mean, and that's a tough one. I mean, I think you know, really, what you're looking at is, you know, whether or not so employers under OSHA have a a general duty to provide a safe workplace. Um, super vague, you know, what is. Uh, you know, a safe workplace. That doesn't mean absolutely that no one's ever going to get injured. It's more of a negligence uh, question. You know, was the employer negligent? Um, so, you know, our thought on, on a lot of that is, I don't think if you're an employer that says we're not going to require vaccinations, that that's a negligent action. Um, you know, it's it's kind of that spectrum. If if you're an employer who says, you know, we actually encourage you not to get vaccinated. We don't want you to wear masks and maybe we even forbid you to wear a mask in the workplace. We, you know, cram everyone into, you know, shoulder to shoulder uh, cubicles. You know, you're starting to look kind of negligent if someone, you know, contracts COVID there and, you know, gets seriously sick or dies. Um, but even in that instance, you still have the, the legal issue of, of causation. you got to prove that the person caught the virus at work. And I, I think that's going to be extremely difficult uh, to do. And that's the same thing. I know a lot of people are having issues with, you know, is this something that falls under workers comp if someone gets, you know, COVID at work. And I think a lot of insurance companies are taking the stance of, we don't think you can establish that you got COVID at work. So we're not going to cover this as a, you know, a workplace injury. So I, I think the yeah, I think the liability is pretty low. It's more of a, I think, PR standpoint, you know, it can look pretty bad that if, you know, if you're a large enough company or something bad, you know, super spreader type of situation at your workplace, you know, that can put a pretty, you know, big black eye on your company. Sure. And even if somebody gets COVID or, you know, claims they had COVID at work, I guess it's it'd be hard to prove that they're not the one who brought it into the workplace and gave it to somebody else. And so... Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Or yeah. Caught it to, you know, walking in the grocery store that morning before coming to work or, you know, it's, right. it, you know, it doesn't just magically appear right then and there. So like I said, just because a coworker got sick and you sit next to that coworker, our, our logical conclusion that's, is that's who I caught it from, but that's not, you know, you can't necessarily prove that either. So the Biden administration is actively preparing OSHA directives to say, Apparently that if you've got more than 100 employees, you either have to mandate vaccines or have all those unvaccinated employees undergo uh, weekly, I guess, COVID uh, tests. 
is is that uh, setting aside? We'll talk about the mandate stuff because I've got some hot opinions there. But um, but would testing? Do you think testing uh, or other are there other processes that would be that would might, might mitigate uh, any liability or just mitigate what uh, you know the, those public concerns uh, that people may have? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think you know again, anytime that you can show that you're taking steps to try to limit the the risk, you know, that's a good thing. So, you know, wearing masks, uh, um, you know, social distancing and absolutely, you know, requiring, you know, when with this, when COVID first came pre, you know, vaccine, we were doing all the, uh, you know, temperature checks and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. And so I think a, a further step would be yeah, that we require uh, people to get tested. Now, it's still an issue of, you know, I know right now the CDC guidelines you know, very much favor the vaccinated folks, even though it's been shown that just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean one that you can't contract it and two that you can't spread it. Um, So, you know, that's a question is, you know, if you're going to do testing, do you do it for all employees or do you do it just for the unvaccinated employees? And then, yeah, as you said, we've got the Biden administration that may, you know, take it out of employers' hands as to whether or not they have a choice as to how they want to operate in that context. Well, so I've I've seen a, a number of business organizations and uh, some, uh, you know, some, you know, large privately owned businesses or their owners indicate that as soon as this issue, this regulations issued, it's going to be challenged uh, in, in the courts. What would those challenges look like? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a little bit of a you know some constitutional arguments, some state versus federal, um, you know, and, and what they're you know Biden has asked this to basically fall under OSHA and their and its purview. Um, so, you know, there's just going to be a lot of legal, uh, you know, fights as to whether or not, you know, does OSHA have um, the authority to enact things, you know, and again, they can, um, and then how that process works as to, you know, because they're not really making a law. I mean, they're kind of just saying, you know, here's, here's our regulation, um, you know, and then what kind of teeth can a regulation have, you know, everything right now whether it's from the EEOC, OSHA, CDC, are all guidelines. You know, it's just things that, you know, here's what, you know, we would suggest you do or um, hope you would do, but employers have the right to say, we don't want to do that for a whole myriad host of reasons. So this would be a change in that context. I mean, I know um, I've seen things, you know, that, you know, violations of this may, you know, be $14,000 per violation. It's not clear as to, does that mean every employee that you don't test is a $14,000 penalty every single week? And, you know, that's unclear. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely going to be a, a fight, you know, pro-business just doesn't want government to I- intrude any more than it already is. And the devil's in the details, uh, and we'll see what the final regulations look like. But um, as it was introduced uh, by the administration initially, there seems to be no differentiation between road, remote employees no uh, versus employees who are actually, you know, so if I'm working from home all day long, I still would be subject to that, uh, at least as it's initially was presented. 
uh, plus no risk assessment uh, in a particular workplace. Uh, you know, employees working outside, uh, construction, things like that. Uh, you know, all the science suggests is you know are very unlikely to to, to spread it uh, outdoors uh, in that kind of environment. So. I guess we'll just have to wait and see what what the regulations come out to say, and then what what feasible challenges there might be to it. Yeah, and I'm I mean, you know, personally, I'm not necessarily against the idea of in the future a, a mandatory vaccination. I mean, you know, we have that with with quite a few different things, but I, I think COVID's just shown that you know, government's not good at a lot of things, um, and, and there's a lot of laws that have a lot of issues in them, and, and it really takes you know. A lot of time, I think, to develop a good law and then time to, you know, for that law to evolve and, you know, all the kinks to get worked out. So, yeah, I, you know, last year with the regulations regarding, you know, sick leave for COVID, I mean, that was just an absolute mess because, again, they they threw that law, you know, together and you know, matter of weeks. And that's my concern with this one too, is yeah, you know, you've identified, you know, a whole subsect of issues and, and there's tons more uh, as well. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit concerning that if this goes through just because there, it's gonna not fix all the issues. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 15 and enter the keyword vaccine. That's V-A-C-C-I-N-E. On Thursday, December 2nd, I'll be hosting a free webinar entitled Seven Steps to Making Bulletproof Hiring Decisions. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for HRCI and SHRM certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this program after December 2nd, you can still watch the recording of the webinar as well as our previous webinars on our website for free for credit. And now back to my conversation with Paul Simon. Well, let's say an employer decides the route we're going to go is to require vaccines, except in those conditions where there's an ADA issue or sincerely held religious beliefs. And let's say an employee presents on the ADA side. There's a reason, I, there's a physical reason I can't uh, get the vaccine. What does just remind, walk us through the ADA process. Anybody who's been to HR Southwest or Sherm National has heard, you know, sat through this uh, a dozen times. But now, when we actually need it, we're like, uh, "What do I do?" So, just walk us through that one more time. What is what's the ADA interactive process look like for something like this? Yeah, so I mean, the, the ADA doesn't say that you know just because someone can't get vaccinated that you have to allow them to work there. The question, you have to do an analysis basically, does a reasonable accommodation exist? Um, And yeah, as you mentioned, the interactive process. So, you know, someone comes and says, I've got this disability. What you typically would want to do in that uh, context is, okay, here's your job description. And hopefully you have a very detailed job description that says, you know, is, is your position require you to interact with people, be face-to-face, um, you know, all the, the duties that you truly want someone to do, 
give that to your doctor, have your doctor come back and give us, you know, um, a recommendation as to if you uh, if you allow the employee to, you know, easy example, work from home, um, they can still perform the essential functions of their job. And so that's what you have to do is kind of walk through that. If the doctor gives something, you know, so we've got bank clients, for example, I think that's an easy example of a, a bank teller. You know, if the company says we're going to require vaccinations of all employees, bank teller says, well, I've got a disability that qualifies under the ADA, you know, what's a, you know, I need a reasonable accommodation. They can't work from home. You know, you're not going to have, you know, drive through, you have to drive through my backyard to get some money. Yeah, here's your cash. Um, And so then the question is, you know, okay, well, do you wear, you know, do you require them to wear a mask? Is that a reasonable accommodation? Um, I don't know. Um, You know, is, you know, do you have them do a different type of job for a period of time? You know, that possibly is a reasonable accommodation. And and if you kind of walk through the traps and say, I don't think there's a reasonable accommodation we can give a teller, then you're making the decision that we're going to terminate them. Um, the other, you know, issue that you deal with ADA is, you know, undue hardship is, is what you hear a lot of times. And so let's say, you know, you can work from home, but I've got to, you know, I'm a smaller company, so I don't have the, the technology uh, that, you know, has secure, servers and, and all of that stuff. And it's going to cost me $40,000 to upgrade our IT just so that you can work from home. $40,000 is, you know, a large percentage of our, our revenue, um, our overhead, you know, that may be an, now again, a reasonable accommodation exists. I can do it, but it may be an undue hardship. Um, that's always a risk, though, because what you're what you're doing in that context, if you say I'm not going to, you know, provide you the IT service, so I'm going to go ahead and terminate you, is you've acknowledged that they qualify under the ADA, and a reasonable accommodation exists, but you have a legal exception that it's a hardship. You know, you have to basically go all the way to to trial at that point to get a judge to say yes, I agree, that's an undue hardship, um, and, and undue hardship again is not. Reasonable accommodation, I think, from an employer standpoint, is always something we don't want to do. It's always not our preference. It oftentimes costs us more money than the employee that doesn't have a a reasonable accommodation. Uh, You know, working from home may not be, you know, our preference, all those sort of things. But that's not an undue hardship. An undue hardship is truly this is almost it's possible, but it's really not or not possible or practical. From the company perspective, so if if our policy is mandated, you know we're going to mandate vaccines, and an employee has an issue, they we give them the job description, they take it to their the, their medical provider. Uh, does it does it have to be a physician or can it be a PI? Do you know? Um, it does. Yeah, there's no requirement in terms of the level. Um, you know, an employer can always get basically a second opinion. So mm-hmm. if you get you know a, a doctor's note from someone that you don't necessarily considered to be that qualified, or you don't really like their um, recommendation diagnosis, you can always go and try to, you know, get your own, you know, send the employee to, you know, your doctor uh, to get that opinion. And so that's, and that's a whole other thing in the job description. How many job descriptions are out there that say part of the job is sitting within eight feet of other people, 
talking to other people, passing people in the hallway, those kind of interactions. Uh, that's not an, our, I thought our job descriptions covered a lot of things that you have to climb stairs because we're at a, an old building that's on the second and we're on the second floor and you, to get to the desk, you had to do that. Now we're all remote. So it's a moot point, but um, so those are new considerations. Do those need to be put into the job description now, or do we just wait till we get that exception? And then we say, okay, here's, here's, the special circumstances that, you know, related to the this vaccine. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you need to get that detailed in terms of the job description, because again, at that point, it starts to almost water down the job description. But, you know, the, the issue, if it's not in your job description, you're going to have a little bit of an argument as to, is that an essential function of the job? You know, typically we'd expect, you know, an essential function means like, this is what, is expected of you and what you have to do in order to complete the job. Um, and if it's not in the job description, there's going to be that, that argument. But again, it's easy to say, yeah, I'm not going to say that you need to, you know, walk up the stairs, but if, if I put in my job description, you know, regular, you know, physical attendance at, at our work locations expected or required, then if you happen to be on a, on a, you know, higher floor that doesn't have elevator, then yeah, that's going to be a natural requirement of the job. And so, and, and that'd be the same situation on the, the, the COVID side that, you know, just having to work, interact with other employees and in, in somewhat close proximity, even with social distancing, um, that may be, you know, still an issue. And so we'd present that to the doc. And then, as you said, if the, if whatever we get back from their medical provider says, it just kind of gives us liver quiver. It doesn't seem legitimate. Or we Google this doctor and it's a chiropractor who's on YouTube uh, pushing uh, hydrochloroquine or I- ivermectin or, or whatever the hot new crazy, you know, substitute is. Um, I know I'm going to get emails about that, but um, <laughs> bring them on. But, uh, you know, and we, if we see we don't trust that medical provider necessarily, we can go get our own and send, send the employee, I think, at our expense to, to do it, to, to have that second opinion. Correct. Yeah. You, you would, the employer, it would be their expense. And then you would basically, to the extent that those two doctors conflict, there's always the third tiebreaker doctor that can be sent again at the employer's expense um, to, and again, usually you're probably not doing an analysis. That analysis is probably more, does the person have a disability that, you know, prohibits them from doing the job? Um, you know, the reasonable accommodation, you know, it's not really, anyone can make it, you know, here's, here's what I propose as a reasonable accommodation. And if you think that's just completely out of whack, you just respond with, we don't believe that that's a reasonable accommodation. Um, you know, one thing I think, you know, that we always suggest for our clients is, you know, you need to engage in the process. And so don't just be the the brick wall that just kind of says, nope, hitting that back to you, bring another one. We're going to hit that right back at you too. you know, propose things now propose, be smart about it, perhaps propose things that, you know, the employee isn't going to want to take, but it shows that you're trying to, give them options that, hey, here's how you can still work for us and we'll give you this reasonable accommodation and let the employee knock that one back to you and go, okay, that's not, you know, that's not good enough for me. And then you can kind of say, okay, well, we tried, you know, unfortunately you're you're not going to be able to work here. Okay. Well, let's talk about the other side of it then, the sincerely held religious beliefs. Um, you know, employee comes and uh, 
And he says, hey, this is a violation of, uh, you know, my sincerely held religious beliefs. I'm a member of the church of what's happening now. And they're, you know, they've come out and said, because of the, you know, the way uh, the vaccines are formulated, some of the stuff inside of them, whether that's, which often isn't accurate, uh, is, uh, is a violation of our conscience. Uh, how do you, how do you address those if, if they come up? Because I, I think traditionally the, most of the time, I think most of the, the counsel to employers is don't try to argue those things. <laughs> and, and if you can, you know, just do whatever you can to accommodate them. But in this case, if you're really, uh, you know, want your employees to be vaccinated, what, what's the response in something like that? Yes. I mean, you know, it's the same analysis as, as we dealt with with the disability. It's still, you know, a reasonable accommodation. Um, you know, I, I will say that the courts typically are very hands off with wanting to, to delve into the analysis as to whether or not it's a sincerely held religious belief. You know, it's very much, you know, First Amendment rights, you know, freedom of religion. And we're, you know, as a as a court, as a legal system, we're not going to go and say, yes, your religion's a good one and one that will agree as a, a legitimate religion. Yours is not. Um, now, push come to shove if we want to go, you know, if you have to fire someone and they sue you for failure to accommodate a you know, religious accommodation, we're absolutely going to litigate, is it a sincerely held religious belief? You know, when did you start going to that, you know, or when did you start practicing that religion? When did you, you know, show me everything that you've done to, you know, actually can, you know, follow these, these rules and, you know, I'm going to be able to probably show that the person's been, you know, received other vaccinations in the past and done other things and, and kind of poke holes in that. But as an employer, I, I would probably tell you just, you know, you can chuckle to yourself, but let's assume it's a sincerely held religious belief and go through the accommodation process. You know, that that's your your cleanest way of not getting into legal issues. Okay. So... What else should an employer consider if they're thinking about doing a, a mandate uh, or putting in some other um, standards that may get pushback from employees? Uh, and, you know, if we, we're trying to keep all these employees engaged, it's hard to hire people and we've got some investment in them. But, you know, you've always got the nervous people on one side and you've got the you know people adamant that they're not going to do it on the other. How do, what, what balances or what other considerations should we take into effect? Yeah, I mean, I really think you just have to, you know, you have to make a decision and, and kind of stand by it. Um, you know, part of me says you should, you know, here, give all of your, you know, reasoning. But I, I don't think that matters to most people. You know, if you're going to not require vaccinations, you're still going to have the naysayers that says, you know, that's that's idiotic and you're putting us at risk. If you try to explain, you know, why you're requiring vaccinations, people are going to say, well, that's not the, you know, best route. I've already gotten COVID. So I'm, you know, I'm the the most protected Superman here. Um, so it's just, I think it's just like any other employment policy. You just kind of have to figure out what makes the most sense for us and be clear as to this is our policy, you know, here's our exceptions and we're going to continue moving forward. Well, uh, let's uh, leave it there. And uh, as this unfolds, we may be having this conversation again. It's, uh, and I think that's going to be one of the things is that this is information 
what's out there right now, the best science or whatever uh, can change next week. And so we'll just, uh, like so many areas of employment law and, and employer relations in the last year, we'll, we'll see what the new normal looks like as it, as it unfolds in front of us. And we're back unexpectedly. We did a costume change and here we are. We recorded the, the original interview a couple weeks ago, and in the intervening time between the interview and publishing this this morning, Governor Abbott of Texas issued a new executive order uh, affecting vaccine mandates in the state of Texas. And just to make sure that our audience didn't get left hanging, Paul agreed to jump back on with us real quick and just kind of update us on the executive order and especially its uh, impact on employer employers with under 100, 100 employees. Paul? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Yeah, and as we mentioned last week, I mean, this thing's kind of just ever-evolving, and, and obviously something new popped up. But um, as you mentioned, Governor Abbott issued an executive order that uh, basically applies to all Texas employers that says, as an employer, you cannot mandate the vaccination now, I mean, that's kind of what's publicized, but there's a little bit of differences there. He's basically what his order says is it kind of expands the exceptions that employees can, can have. So and it's it's debatable. So what it says is uh, you can't mandate vaccinations for any person who objects for any reason of personal personal conscience based on a religious belief, which, again, sounds very much like the ADA or the um, Title VII uh, sincerely held religious belief. There's some argument as to whether or not, though, it's kind of two separate things, whether or not you object based on any sort of personal conscience, whether or not you have any sort of religious beliefs that you're objecting to, and then the last one, the medical reasons under the ADA. So, um, you know, from a, from a legal standpoint, once... Uh, President Biden's OSHA requirements get out there. Again, that's just going to be for employers with 100 or more. That's always going to trump state law. So if Abbott's order is still in place at that point, you, as an employee employer, you just ignore that, follow what the federal mandate is. But really from you know a small company, you do kind of have to look at this and say, you know, previously we were free to do what we wanted. Do we want to mandate vaccinations? Do we not? Um, and now with Governor Abbott's, I, I think it does give you a little bit of pause. I, it's it's a lot of posturing, um, so it, it's hard to say. You know, is he really going to come after you? You know, it doesn't give you a private uh, cause of action. So as an employee, if you're terminated, you can't sue that this violates the governor's order. But the governor could find your company. So it's kind of weighing. You know, what do you want to do? How long does this stick around? All those sorts of things. So give me a quick civics lesson. How can the governor issue an order like this rather than, I mean, it seems like that's something the legislature would have to decide. Yeah. And I mean, this is kind of what's been happening, though, in, in politics. You know, I mean, same with the president's, uh, you know, we have all these executive orders um, and, you know, he has certain powers in order to do this. Now, he does say that this his intent is that this order dissolves once the legislator decides whether or not they want to enact a law. And right now they're, they're still in a special session. So his belief is that something will come out of that special session and, you know, either looks very similar to this order or is different, but then his order goes away. But yeah, I mean, and there's, there's legal challenges you could make to say whether or not this, you know, steps outside his, 
his power, but you know, do you want to be the the person that pays to go have that fight with them? Right, not me. Okay, well, thank you for jumping back on with us. I just didn't. We neither you or I wanted to leave that un, un, unaddressed uh, for when our listeners listen to it this Thursday. So, uh, appreciate you being here. And now that really is all the time we have. Thanks for joining me today, Paul. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike, for having me on. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer and Imperatives Marketing Coordinator. Katie Bautista keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you professionally or personally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, keep your chin up.